How is the number two better than one or three on this episode of Inverse? Coming to you from Silver Spring, Maryland, welcome to Inverse, a Bible-based conversation on life principles, contemporary issues, and thought-provoking perspectives. Now here's your host, Justin Kim, with Inverse. Hey everyone, my name is Justin Kim and you're watching Inverse and in the studio with me is Siku, Israel, and Jonathan. So hello you guys. Hello. hello, hello. We are in uh, a study of the topic of biblical sexuality and we want to encourage you that if you have minors in the area, in the listening vicinity, we want to warn that we are looking at a sensitive topic and that uh, just be mindful of, 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 of the topic nature, the sensitivity of it. Uh, we're going to go into Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Uh, we're going to have a word of prayer and uh, we'll talk about the topic that I mentioned at the top of the show in the opener about the the abstract number two and why that is found in scripture and not the number one or number or, or, or more than two. So let's go to pray and Jonathan, can you pray for us? Sure, let's pray. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we would just want to invite you again into this Bible study that you will help us understand um, more about your love for us and the love that humans can experience with each other. Lord, I pray that uh, you will give us insight and that you will Bless this study in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Okay, we've covered so many things from week to week in Israel. Uh, for those of our viewers who are who are maybe for the first time watching, um, what's what's what have we hit? What are some things that you remember and resonate with up to this point? We've been discussing the topic of sexuality from the perspective of the Bible, yes. and what we've talked about from the very beginning of our time together was the fact that we are culturally conditioned to live by certain scripts, and these things form not just how we view other cultures, but even how we view this very sensitive topic of sexuality. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about our need to have the Bible as the center of our understanding. This is how we evaluate this topic, this topic of se sexuality, and this is what centers us. This is what helps us define what real sexuality should look like from the perspective of Scripture. Mm -hmm. We talked about how uh, the Bible talks to us uh, in very open and poetic terms about this very beautiful topic, really, the topic of oneness between a man and a woman within the marriage context, and how this is actually a, a foretaste of what the relationship that God wants to have with us, how his relationship with the, with us is not just a uh, some kind of a cognitive contract, but it is God is in fact madly in love with his creation. That's why his love for us is even stronger than death. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of where we've led up from our previous. Uh, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, each episode has been really profound for me. I mean, we're really, this is kind of a weird topic and a little bit edgy, but at the same time, we're, we're talking about very, very deep spiritual principles and very biblical biblical principles and uh, challenging. Uh, the other thing is that this is really acknowledging God as the creator of sexuality. Mm -hmm. So if you don't believe that God is the creator, if you don't believe in God at all, then this has this this doesn't really apply. This is not a judgment on all the other uh, practices out there. But if you acknowledge that the existence of God and his lordship over your personal life, then there are instructions on to how engage in, in, in this in, in, in sexual sexuality. So let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 1 through 11 and uh, that's our verse for, for, for this week's study. Mm -hmm. uh, you can go to inversebible.org and download our Bible study guides where we uh, look at comprehensively different topics all throughout scripture. Uh, this quarter we're looking at biblical sexuality. So Siku, if you can read Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verse 1 through 11 please. Alright. I said in my heart, come now I will test you with mirth therefore enjoy pleasure. 
but surely this also was vanity. I said of laughter, madness, and of mirth, what does it accomplish? I searched in my heart how to gratify, gratify my flesh with wine while guiding my heart with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the sons of men to do under heaven all the days of their lives. I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards and planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and special treasures of kings and of pr provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the delights of the sons of men and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my reward from all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done, and on the labor in which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity and grasping for the wind. There was no profit under the sun. Mm. Okay, Jonathan, can you uh, share with us what does this passage have to do <laughs> with with our topic? Yes, so Solomon, the author of Ecclesiastes, mm -hmm. he likes to go all in when he does something. Mm. So, for example, he would he, he says, I'm going to build houses and gardens and make something, you know, do what you can do with architecture, and I'm going to do it full-blown as mm. much as possible because I want to experience life and all these things. He does it. Mm -hmm. But then he's realizing all this is vanity, Life is not about that. <laughs> and now he does the same thing here uh, with pleasure, right? He says, I'm going to just experience pleasure to the maximum of the way I can. And he, he does it. He plants all kinds of fruit trees. He, he eats, he drinks, he, he has servants. Uh, you know, he, we know he acquired a lot of wives uh, and all these experiences. And then he realizes in the end, that even that was vanity. So even though the pursuit of selfishness to the extreme in, the sen in that sense, or, or, or the selfish pursuit of pleasure, mm -hmm. um, did not bring him to that fulfillment that we talked about in the previous episode on, you know, on, on the book of Song of Solomon. So that's what's going on here. He's seeking pleasure. And pleasure, of course, is a big aspect of, uh, of sexuality, uh, mm -hmm. the topic we are discussing. And so the question that we are trying to look at now is... Um, in what what value does the does pleasure have uh, in the context of sexuality, mm -hmm. and how do we relate to it? Well, what what is what is wrong with uh, with with pursuing pleasure mm -hmm. with only? What what is wrong with with uh, what people call it hedonism siku? What why why is that? Why would God frown upon that? Or or should we? I mean, there are theologians out there who'd say, yeah. You seek all the pleasure that you can. Mm -hmm. Is there a danger in that? There is a danger in that mm. because it is dangerous. <laughs> so we must yeah. not. Well, the I think. <laughs> okay. The, is there a bail her out? Well, okay. the, <laughs> I'll, I'll try my best here. <laughs> All right, you pray. I speak. All right. So, um, no, I think the the danger here that Solomon portrays is the fact that his experience mm -hmm. is ultimately he's saying this is going to be the experience of every individual. Mm -hmm. And. And this is the crazy thing, that Solomon, as Jonathan said, Solomon goes all in mm. with the things that he can experience. Mm. 
And his all-in is going to be, you know, a lot bigger than my all-in, <laughs> right? So we think to ourselves, for example, if, if, I had, if I had just, if I could just get one more car, if I could just get one more whatever it is, a bigger house, a nicer. Solomon had the opportunity to buy a nicer house and then a nicer house and then a nicer house and then the nicest house and then redefine nicest and then rebuild that house. And what did that lead you to, Solomon? He said, after I did this, unlimited amount of funding, unlimited amount of wisdom and architecture and beauty, it led to nothing. Nothing. Mm -hmm. And then what about within the, 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 uh, the aspect of knowledge? Mm -hmm. Well, I was the wisest man that ever lived. I acquired knowledge and more knowledge and more knowledge, more knowledge than you can ever acquire. What did that accomplish? Mm -hmm. It accomplished nothing. Mm -hmm. And then he said, look, even with women, I had not just one woman, two women, three women. I had not just hundreds of women. I had thousands of them. Mm. And what did this accomplish? I mean, this you would think from from uh, from from the perspective of a teenager coming into puberty, <laughs> like this is a dream come true, right? Like any woman that you want, all the any time you want it. I mean, this is like this has to be the greatest. This has to be the greatest thing ever given. You arrived. Yeah. yeah. And then what did Solomon say? Is like, look, even after that. It's nothing. This was nothing. And if you look at chapter 2, almost every single verse begins with I. Mm, I yes. did this. I did that. I did this. And the point that Solomon is making is every time we live for I, mm. foundationally, the end is going to be mm -hmm. it was vanity. It didn't, it didn't even accomplish what I thought it would accomplish. Mm -hmm. It didn't even give me the happiness that I thought it would actually give me. Mm -hmm. And so the danger is you're chasing something, and in the end, it's going to lead you to nothing. Mm -hmm. yeah. And mm -hmm. just, just to go with that, um, thank you. I was praying. <laughs> but it, it, it made me think of something that was said a, a, a couple episodes ago that, you know, when God gives us parameters, it's not because he's just trying to rule our lives, but this is a manual for this is actually how you will accomplish happiness. This mm. is how you can feel fulfilled. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting, like in Solomon's, in Solomon's life, he was the king of Israel and God had, when the Israelites asked for a king, he said, okay, I'll permit this, but your kings should not gather to themselves servants and lands and flocks and herds and take wives. And I, he, he gave parameters He's like, OK, other kings do this, but you're the king of Israel should not do this. Mm -hmm. And Solomon goes and does exactly mm -hmm. what God said. Mm -hmm. You should not do as right. the king of Israel. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting that, you know, at the end of it, he's so like, he's almost kind of like vindicating what God what said God that you said, shouldn't have done is right, bad. Right. And he's like, yeah, what I did, I did, I didn't do what God told me to do. And that was bad. And I did okay. it to the extreme. Okay. And then I found okay. at the end of the day, that it was it was vanity. Mm -hmm. So those okay. seven hundred wives and three hundred concubines, vanity. Okay, yeah. okay. You know, okay. Um, that's awesome. Israel kind of alluded to this in in verse uh, three here. It says chapter two, uh, verse three. Chapter two, verse three says, mm -hmm. "I searched in my heart how to gratify my flesh." Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. That's the that's the principle he uh, principle he's uh, operating on now. Mm -hmm. Now, if we uh, talk about now in, in the context of sexuality, mm -hmm. that is the guiding principle in most cases where sexuality is portrayed in society and in the world today. Mm -hmm. 
And so uh, we can assume that Solomon applied the same principle in his, uh, you know, sexual experiences and, you know, with the thousands of wives and whatever. Mm -hmm. And so he's saying this is vanity, uh, but this should make us rethink what what do I seek in, you know, if I'm, in, if I'm married in my sexual uh, encounter with my wife? Mm-hmm. What do I seek, even if I'm not married, uh, what do I look forward to? Or what, I, what, I, what do I want out of the sexual experience that is part of the human experience? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it, am I searching my heart so I can, you know, to gratify my flesh? Or have I grasped the higher a form of the sexual mm-hmm. encounter, which we already studied a little bit in our previous episodes, that what God has in store for us, the selflessness, etc. Mm-hmm. So this is the guiding principle, and there are manifestations of that now that are you know uh, not biblical. Yeah, no, I, I love this guiding principle. So when it comes to the sexual experience of of the, of the one mm-hmm. uh, solo solo uh, sexuality, if you will, masturbation is mm-hmm. what the technical term is. This does this this would apply here, yes. right? You're not gratifying the needs of the flesh. Uh, if this is uh, the experience of two, mm-hmm. can does this does this apply there in, in, it could. in, in two? It could, mm-hmm. okay. And then we're, we're, then we also talk about three and four, and we talk about polygamy. When we come back after the break, we're going to look at the numbers of one, two, and three, and how does Jonathan's principle from Ecclesiastes chapter two apply in each of these scenarios? I'm Justin Kim. You're, you're listening to Inverse. We'll be back after the break. Has Inverse been a blessing to you? Do you have questions, comments, or feedback you'd like to leave us? Find us on social media by searching Inverse Bible on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube. While there, join us, like us, heart us, thumbs up us. Our handle again is Inverse Bible, no spaces. Now, back to the discussion. Hey, welcome back. We're in Ecclesiastes chapter 2, where Jonathan has brought out the principle of chapter 2, verse 3, that Solomon searched his heart on how to gratify his own flesh here. And this is not a, a principle that we find in biblical sexuality. Mm-hmm. And we talked about the uh, solo sexuality, duo sexuality, and then with the trio, quadro, Poly- uh, yeah. Poly- polygamy. Well, let's actually address, uh, let's go backwards. Let's go, let's go <laughs> polygamy. There are many biblical characters who engaged in polygamy. Polygamy. There are uh, weird versions where people do that to gratify the flesh, and we can say automatically, "Hey, this applies. That's bad." Mm-hmm. But are there polygamous situations where the the one spouse is doing it not to gratify the flesh, but to do it out of love and to support yeah. the family? And, and <laughs> da, 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 da. are those okay? And the Bible characters did it, so what's wrong with me doing it kind mm-hmm. of thing? Yeah, well, I think uh, Jonathan I, and then Israel. Yeah. <laughs> I, I couldn't tell from your face. Uh, yeah, I okay. might be in She might jump in, she All might right. not, so we'll wait for Siku. Okay, I Jonathan. think the uh, first principle we have to understand is just because a story is in the Bible does yes. not mean that everything that person did um, is something we have to do. Yeah. Many stories in the Bible are to teach us about what not to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so just because there are examples in the Bible of uh, polygamous relationships, that does not mean that the Bible says polygamous relationships are okay. Okay. Um, and just because God interacted with an individual or individuals who were in polygamous relationships, uh, that does not make that all right. Or, yes. or he does not, uh, yeah, he does not so sanctify Solomon having that. a thousand women is not justification for no. me to have a thousand women. Exactly. Okay, very good. And so in the same, you know, you think of Abraham and yes. David and others. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, the other aspect that I want to bring in is also the cultural aspect. And this is not an excuse. This is just the reality of the culture in those days. 
days, like Abraham and then others, it was very, very normal to have multiple wives and concubines and, and just, you know, these servant uh, women that are, and it was not necessarily to gratify the flesh. It was just part of building, you know, a tribe and, and, and having uh, stability. Mm-hmm. And so it was part of how society functioned at that time in, in that context. And there are, I mean, to this day, still parts of the world where that is part of society. Mm-hmm. It's normal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so sometimes individuals would even come out of that experience and then become converted. Okay, so, uh, and then God has to deal with, with those dynamics. Uh, you know, what, what do you do then? You know, do you divorce everybody? Or what's, what's the plan? <laughs> so uh, that's just the two things I want to bring in there. Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean you have to do it Excellent that way. Mm-hmm. And sometimes it has a cultural background rather than a selfish pursuit of pleasure background. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Um, sorry, uh, go ahead, yeah, go ahead. But just to go on the on the on the Abraham example, for instance, because you know that's a really hard one because he apparently he was doing it to be um, respectful of his wife's wish, wishes. Yes, and also he he was trying to help God along with the promise that God had made. You know, and then you know the culture was permissive and all these things. Right. Um, but it's interesting in Abraham's story. You know, like you get to you know in Genesis chapter fifteen, he's like, okay, God, I'm kind of going getting up there in, in years, and you said I was going to have this huge tribe, but I got no kids. How about you take my servant as a proxy? You know, and God says, no. I said you. Right. It's from you that 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 this nation is going to come out. And then Sarah comes up with this genius idea. Okay, you, which means, okay, we'll put you and Hagar together. Mm -hmm. And what turns out is that God's like, no, when I said you, you and Sarah are one, Mm -hmm. one, the oneness episode. So when I said you, Abraham, that means you and Sarah, not you and Hagar. Mm -hmm. So even if it's culturally acceptable, like the way that even the way that God communicated with Abraham when he's like from your loins from you mm-hmm. he like he obviously meant you and Sarah because of the way that he reacted even to when okay well how about Ishmael he's like right. no I didn't mean you and some other person yeah. you and Sarah when I said you right yeah. so so God has this assumption of of the two are one yeah. right mm-hmm. and and it's these two people in this and not a third party coming mm-hmm. in to the union so the bible to, principles transcend culture even right. when the culture permits, permits it to happen, right, right, right. But the biblical script must still uh, triumph. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. And what's what's important along the same line of what she's saying is when you look at how God responds to that situation, mm-hmm. He comes and He says to Abraham, uh, "Take now your your son Isaac, your only son." Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> he doesn't even acknowledge what has happened between him and Hagar as something that's legitimate. And so, uh, you know, I go back and forth because I understand what um, Jonathan is saying in terms of whether it is a, a result of passion or a result of, you know, pragmatics. I, I, I think ultimately we can't understand the human heart. Mm-hmm. What it does boil down to in whatever form you look at it, whether it's, you know, human passion or, or, or not, it does boil down to human wisdom or humanness versus non-human. That's right. And when we talk about, you know, uh, sexuality, you know, two being that number, God doesn't really look at it as, you know, two is better than one or two is better than three. Ultimately, it boils down to 
is this something that is selfish or is something mm. that is selfless? Yes. Mm. Because so the two can still exist, but can be just as wrong as the one yeah. and three. It can actually mm. still be one, right? Mm. And this is a crazy thing about. Oh, yeah, okay. It, it, <laughs> this is a crazy thing about. Yeah, it's a crazy thing about intimacy. Yeah, yeah, yeah You know, yeah. it's a crazy thing mm. because when you're when you're experiencing intimacy with someone, as as physical as that intimacy is, mm. there's also a mental component to it, mm. right? You can be uh, having the same exact action than you would in an intimate love relationship and that same exact action could be an act of hatred yes. right we call it rape mm. right it could also be an act of lust it can even be an act of adultery someone two individuals can be having sexual intimacy thinking about two other individuals mm. and so in in each of these expressions it's actually not an expression of love but is an expression of love for self. Mm -hmm. And so when the Bible talks about intimacy, real intimacy, it's something that involves the whole entire being. Yes. The mind as well as the body. And in the mind as well as the body, what is taking place is actually, believe it or not, even though this kind of sounds funny, is an act or should be an act of selflessness. Mm -hmm. yes. And this doesn't exist always with even within the context of marriage, right? How many times mm -hmm. it's like, all right, let's just do it because we got to get it over with mm -hmm. or I'm going to make you, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. just so that we can go to sleep or whatever happens, right? Yeah. How many times do we hear these kinds of stories that this right. actually happens? This is not intimacy. Right. This is ultimately you know, oneness, it's one. right? It's a one. Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. mm -hmm. Well, let's actually look at one. What What is so wrong with uh, with with solo sexuality? Mm -hmm. uh, you see, in the medical literature, there is a a form to to relieve stress, and it is a healthy expression of sexuality. You find this in the literature all over, and the the church uh, remains kind of quiet on it. Does it not want to does not does not want to increase levels of guilt and shame, and just hey, let's just kind of be pragmatic about it. Mm. Uh, how can how do these principles of scripture apply in this scenario? I mean, obviously, you have the aspect of selfishness. Mm -hmm. uh, we we see from scripture that uh, the 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 sexual encounter is something that is supposed to happen between a man and a woman in a context of marriage, mm -hmm. and with the focus of selflessness, focusing on the other, not on self. Mm -hmm. And you know, with masturbation, uh, you have uh, a focus on you and whatever you want, and it's a you're really stripping the gift of sexuality. The holiness of it, of its holiness, and mm -hmm. of its, of its, of the the the, the beautiful aspects that God has put to it, mm -hmm. and you're robbing yourself um, of an experience that God wants you to have in the proper context, mm -hmm. which is way deeper, way more beautiful, and and way more beneficial. Mm -hmm. um, so you are you really you're robbing yourself of an experience there, and, and that's why God God's not trying to uh, rob you of an experience. He's trying to prevent you from destroying uh, that experience that you can have in the future mm -hmm. uh, in the right context. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's important for us to note and to mention the fact that in especially dealing with the topic of masturbation, this is something that is highly addictive. There's a yes. lot of people that are addicted to this thing, mm -hmm. and from that perspective there should be compassion the fact that people mm -hmm. are yes. wrestling with these kind of t addictions and temptations i think foundationally for people that are going through this kind of addiction sometimes it's hard for us to ever um for it's hard for us to ever uh, stop denying the fact that this is harmful to us right mm -hmm. and it's important for individuals who are going through these kind of challenges to understand that there's something fundamentally that affects us when we seek 
self-pleasure. Mm -hmm. And that is that it'll affect every other aspect of our relationship. It prevents us, even when we have uh, intimacy with a partner, it prevents us from being able to engage properly within that context. Mm -hmm. Why? Because we've set up ourselves to respond only to that which pleases us. Yes. Mm -hmm. And this is where it robs us mm -hmm. of that beautiful mm -hmm. exactly. sexual intimacy. And I think that it's important for us to understand that the longer we are addicted to self, whatever that is, whether it's you know sexual addiction, pornography, or any other kind of addiction, it prevents us from having meaningful mm. and beautiful relationships with the people that we ultimately love. Yeah. So it actually hurts our ability to yes. love someone else the way we want to love them. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. This is such a this is a very very efficacious discussion. I think mm -hmm. this is good for for those those who are many who are watching online and who are single, who are young adults. And may, and may be struggling. I want to ask you, and we will cover this in, in future episodes, but right now, what, what is some practical counsel you can grant mm -hmm. to people who are struggling with these things? Maybe they are in a married relationship, a marriage, and but they have a one solo sexual experience. Mm -hmm. Or maybe they are a young adult, but they are they cannot get out of this. This is And this is the reality, whether you're a male or female living today with the prevalence of sexual material on the internet and, and whatnot, Whatever, whatever, what is going on? Uh, what are some counsel we can practically give to help people with their with their o overcoming and helping and and uh, formally from the church? Yeah, I think um, I'd say for you know, f just like for for any other addiction. Um, Firstly, looking the addiction in the eye and recognizing it for what it is, mm. an addiction. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, whether it's alcohol, alcoholism, you know, like pornography, etc., like whatever addictions they are, like one of the first steps is acknowledging that mm. I am addicted, mm. you know, and I think that's that's really challenging, you know, with, with the solo sex situation because firstly, you know, there's a prevalence of what society says in the media and, you know, just everything around is saying, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, and sometimes the church is silent on it even. And then on top of it, even if there's a recognition that this is a problem, it is such a private slash secretive, mm -hmm. right, depending on the context, experience. So even seeking accountability can be challenging in that situation, which for something like alcoholism, you have a partner who you talk to about it. But when, when let's say you're a single person and but you're struggling with this, like who do you talk to about something that's so personal, you know? Um, so that adds, you know, another layer of, you know, challenge. And for that, I think as, as communities of faith, I think we need to start acknowledging that people are struggling with these kind of yes. things and start creating environments that will allow not in a perverse kind of way, but allow, you know, a level of vulnerability yes. that will create the safety for people to begin, yes, you know, yes, to yes, overcome. Absolutely. absolutely. We're finding that in social science is telling us that the opposite of addiction is not isolation. We often think if you're addicted to something, stay away from it. If you're isolated by yourself away from long enough, you will have the victory over it. Mm -hmm. We're finding that isolation often incubates the right. addiction even more, mm -hmm. but integration is the opposite to addiction. Mm -hmm. And many social scientists are telling, hey, go to church. Whether you believe the things or whatever, just find a community where you integrate and that kind 
kind of social reinf reinforcement mm -hmm. helps you to overcome yes. some of this, this behavior. You know, I think of David, King David, who had who fell into sexual sin and adultery. Um, in Psalm 51, you know, well-known verse, he 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 confesses, he faces the reality of his sexual sin, and then asks God to do something. We have to realize that God wants us to have freedom. God is not hating you. He wants to help you mm. to deal with that thing, mm -hmm. and he's going to give you victory if you trust him. David prayed, you know, creating me a clean heart mm -hmm. and give me a right spirit, give me that purity, mm -hmm. give me that renewed experience, um, and God is more than willing to do it. it. It's a process, but he can help overcome, mm -hmm. uh, help us overcome these issues. Mm -hmm. Well, we want to really encourage you to go to inversebible.org and download the Bible study or continue the conversation on social media. This is a huge topic, and we need to be talking about it and find the support that we need. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll see you next week here on Inverse as we continue talking about the topic of biblical sexuality. God bless you guys. You've been listening to Inverse, a Bible-based conversation with Callie Williams, Israel Ramos, Jonathan Walter, Sebastian Braxton, Siku Dako, and your host, Justin Kim. Inverse is brought to you by the Hope Channel, television that changes lives. For this and more inspiring episodes, visit inverse.hopetv.org. Find us on social media, hashtag Inverse Bible. Until next time, this is Inverse.